You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning. We'll be reading from Genesis 19, verses 1 through 29. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed his, with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house and with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, and anyone else you have in the city, bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against this people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons to be just jesting. As morning dawned and the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away with the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to them, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zor. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities, and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. 
But Lot's wife, behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Please pray with me now. Father God, we ask you to open our ears, our hearts, and our minds to over to listen and understand these difficult topics and difficult truths. And we pray that you bless Jeremy as he brings them to us now. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Craig. In today's passage, we're going to see Lot so absorbed by the sinful culture of Sodom, so willing to allow and live with the depth of their depravity, that Lot is going to be completely caught off guard by God's judgment for sin. And the takeaway for us today, church, is going to be a spiritual wake-up call. Wake up. There's sin all around us and in us. Wake up. God is going to punish sin. And wake up. God will rescue, but not because of our righteousness. There's three warnings in the text for us to see, thus three big ideas in the sermon today. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open to Genesis 19? 1 to 29, let's wake up to what God has for us in our text today. Here is the first warning. If you're taking notes, wake up. Sin is all around you. And I draw this from verses 1 through 11. Focus in on verse 1, if you will, and you will notice that the two angels from our previous passage have now made it to Sodom. It's in the evening, and they're sitting at the gate. If you were with us last week, you might remember that two angels and the Lord, so three guests, had visited Abraham in Genesis 18. They had a message to deliver to Sarah, which was, Sarah, good news, you're going to have a baby in a year. Abraham already knew that from Genesis 17, but in what seems like quite the marriage fail, he doesn't have a meeting with his wife to let her know she's going to be pregnant guess 80-year-old woman would like to know that info if your husband knew it. So the angels and the Lord come and they want Sarah to know this is going to happen. But that's not the only piece of information they came to deliver. They share that at the beginning of 18. At the end of 18, the Lord 
has a conversation with Abraham, and he says, you need to know something. I'm going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And in this very interesting intercession between Abraham and the Lord, Abraham says, would you save it if there were only 10 righteous people in the whole city? Would you save it for them? And the Lord says, I will. So then two of the Lord's angels, ambassadors of the Lord, have shown up in Sodom to investigate the city. And we remember, we see, not remember, we look in the text and see that Lot is sitting at the gate of Sodom. Now, all the times I've read this, I didn't realize how significant it was that he's at the gate. But you may already know what I learned in studying is the gate is like the equivalent of city hall. It would be like the county court. The gate is where city officials, the mayor, judges would come to do their business and here's Lot sitting at a politically significant position. I think that's why our author has said, Lot's at the gate. And you can look in 2 Samuel 18. You can look in Proverbs 31. You can look in Isaiah chapter 28 to name a few of the places in the scripture that gate is politically significant. And so here in Genesis 19, what we're seeing is some authority and political power is attributed to Lot. Point being, back in Genesis 13, 12, Lot had put a tent outside the city of Sodom. Here we are today. He's in office. In fact, he has a house in the city. He's a homeowner. Well, Lot has welcomed these two guests, and he rightly invites them to his house. But they say, nah, we'll say it, middle of town square, which would have been understandable. But Lot insists. 19.3, he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Later on, we're going to find Lot asleep at the wheel. But here he knows enough to recognize, I can't let those two fellas stay in the city square. That's not an okay spot for them. Here then in verse 4 is where we finally see how bad Sodom is. Moses, our author, he has foreshadowed it previously 1313, the men of Sodom were great wicked sinners against the Lord. Genesis 18:20, the outcry against the city is great and its sin is very grave. Here it is then in verse 4. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, and all the people to the last man surrounded the house and they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may... Know them. Lot went out to the man at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Now I can appreciate why those of you who may be newer to the Bible, or Genesis 19 may think, well, what's the big deal, man? But what you have to understand is 
biblically, the Hebrew we translate for know them is used all over the Bible and always means sex, sexual act. So this undoubtedly is a polite way of for us to understand that the men of Sodom say to Lot, bring out the two men, we want to have sex with them. With that in mind, then, we can appreciate the depths of their depravity because, because it's time to go to bed. And, and now you've got this mob that's on the front porch. And did you notice who is populating this mob from the text? It's the young and the old. From the text, all the people down to the last man. Like as the fellas are preparing to go to Lot's house and they're saying, come on, come on everybody. Nobody said, I'm going to sit this one out. They all showed up. Bring out the men. We want to know them. Lot attempts to protect his two guests. Cultural expectations would be that he provides protection for them, but the lustful men won't be persuaded, pushing Lot to the unthinkable proposition there in verse 8. Look in verse 8. In common vernacular, Lot's saying, hey, look, fellas, look, 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 I... Tell you what I'll do. I got these two daughters. They're engaged, but they're virgins. Take them. Take them and just do whatever you got to do to them, but not these two guests. Indeed, the men of Sodom are great sinners, and we see how great their sin is. But in verse 8, we see not only is sin out there, do you see for Lot, it's in him too. In Lot's offer, we see the devastating impact that this sinful culture in Sodom has impacted on himself. For while some might suggest Lot's merely bluffing, I'm convinced Lot has put himself in a lose-lose situation. He has compromised his conscience so far that he's willing to make this awful offer. But we know he's compromised his conscience, not just because we can sense it in this text, but in the New Testament, it's actually Peter. 2 Peter 2.7, where we see Lot's conscience has been Calloused. Here's what Peter writes in 2 Peter 2 7. God rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them, Sodom, day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. What I want you to realize is the New Testament is confirming that Lot lived distressed 
and tormented. By the sensual conduct. Notice the sexual undertones in that phrase. Lot's damaged his own soul. Lot's damaged his own conscience by ignoring, overlooking the sin of Sodom. And Lot needed to wake up. Lot, man, sin is all around you. Lot, wake up. Sin's inside of you. Well, Lot's made an offer. Not the men, but take my daughters. And look at the response. 19.9, but they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow Lot came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you, Lot, than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man, Lot. And drew near to break the door down. There's this sad situation here. Here Lot is perhaps actually serving as a judge at Sodom. But he can't stop him. Despite his political office at the gate. They call them out, and in fact, they say, oh, you're going to try to stop us? Well, we're going to take care of those two guys, and you're going to get it worse. So the two angels, who Lot had protected from the town square earlier, are now protecting Lot. Verse 11, the two angels, they grab Lot, they bring him in the door. And blinding light upon this mob they can't see. But just in case you don't see how depraved the men of Sodom are, look at verse 11. They're blind and they wore themselves out groping for the door. There has been a supernatural miracle of judgment in which the men can no longer see. But instead of stopping and trying to find their way home, they're collectively trying to get the door handle. Because I don't care that I can't see. If I could just figure out where that handle is, we could get in and we could still have them. Their wickedness is great. Here's an application from our first part. Church, I'm convinced Moses has put this in the scriptures as a warning to the Israelites. For remember, this passage was not written to Abraham's kids or even his grandkids. This passage was written to the Israelites as they're in the wilderness and they're preparing to go into the promised land. And that promised land has been populated by Canaanites and other Civilizations that are wicked. And Moses' warning here, based on the example of Lot, is don't underestimate the influence that those cities can have on you. It's not for nothing that, that we see in Moses' commands to the Israelites in the promised land. It's not for nothing that God says, I want my people set apart. 1 John 2.15, Jesus, excuse me, John writes about having followed Jesus. John writes, we aren't to love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
if you're taking notes, this is what I'd love for you to write down. Don't underestimate the influence sinful culture has on you. Don't underestimate the influence sinful culture has on you. And I've seen it in my own life, and I'm afraid as Christians, it's just so normal for us to think, eh, it's not that big of a deal. I know we live in this world, but it's, it's fine. I can handle that. I can handle that. I can handle that. A litmus test from 2 Peter 7, if you're thinking, wait, do I need to wake up, pastor? How would I know if I need to wake up when it's just you by yourself, between you and the Lord? Are you greatly distressed and tormented by the sin around you? Do you find yourself in situations where you realize this is, this is distressing my conscience? I'm tormenting myself. This isn't right. I've done this. I was watching Tiger King on Netflix came to an episode, I didn't realize it in the moment, but when it was done, I realized that was not good for me. I tormented my soul. I had to confess that to the Lord. Lord, I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't do that. Other specific ways we might be tormenting our soul. If you are cutting corners at work and you're lying and Fudging the numbers. But in your mind, you think, yeah, yeah, pastor, but that's what everybody does. Wake up. Or if privately you excuse your sin and you say to yourself, yeah, 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 but everybody does it. Wake up. If the friends you keep, like the inner circle of your friends, they don't love Jesus and your boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance doesn't love Jesus, if, if your inner circle of friends, all of them are an evangelism project, wake up. You, you need Christian friends anchoring you. Don't let the sinful culture around you become an excuse for your behavior. That's what's going on with Lot. And culture's powerful. Moses knows it. God knows it for the sake of Israel. And I think far too many Christians underestimate it. Just this week, Florida, the CEO of Disney is getting the business from the left wing because he didn't come out with a statement that was clarifying Disney's sincere belief that the LGBTQ plus legislation in Florida was awful. So somebody started giving the Disney CEO business. He said, hey, wait, why didn't you write something? Why aren't you coming out and politically posturing yourself to say, we disagree with where Florida is going with this legislation? And the Florida CEO, maybe you already heard this this week. I thought it was fascinating. Florida, the Disney CEO, he says, we don't think that does much to just write a couple sentences and say that we disagree with it. We don't think that changes culture. The way we change culture 
is the stories we tell, the movies we provide. Writing a few lines for us to show our cards, that's not the way to change your heart. The way to change your heart is through Disney stories. I think the world gets this in ways that we don't. Of course, the solution isn't for us to isolate ourselves and live in a castle and only allow Caleb on the radio waves. John writes in chapter 17, 15, as Jesus is teaching his disciples before his crucifixion, Jesus says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Meaning... We are to live in the world, but not of the world. And we don't want to underestimate the influence that sinful culture has on this. And I know it's tough because some of you may be in a position where you think, gosh, my new boss, he expects me to lie to customers. Or he, he didn't used to expect it, but now I have to just to keep up with the industry. What am I supposed to do, pastor? I'm saying you need to do business with that. Or parents, I... I get it. It's hard when we think about our kids and we're thinking, man, should I send my kids to that school? Because that school seems to have a lot more in alignment with Sodom and Gomorrah than it does my Christian principles. But what are we supposed to do? I know it's hard questions, but it's worth it to push into them and we can learn from Lot. We must not underestimate the influence sinful culture has on us. That's why we got to wake up up, fans. Sin's all around us. It's in us. It's influencing us. Warning number two from the text. Wake up. God is going to punish sin. I draw this from verses 12 to 28. Follow with me if you would. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, and because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Notice the merciful warning. These two have come to Lot, and they say, you got to go, so tell anybody you know. And they have determined then there are not ten righteous. But look in the text. What does Lot do? He seems to move, jump right to it. He goes and he finds his two son-in-laws. They're engaged to his daughters. He goes and he tells them. And what is the response of the son-in-laws? You must be joking. <sighs> Judgment. I wonder if Sodom was so filled with a culture of entertainment that it's totally some joke. Because you can't be serious, Lot, that God's going to judge this thing. Oh, God is going to judge it. And then in verse 15, we're glad that Lot has at least woke up to send a warning to his son-in-laws, but it's like he's sleeping again. Verse 16, he's lingering again. I'm actually wondering if he fell asleep. Well, how do you figure? Well, do the timeline with me. When did the two angels show up in the city? At sunset. So they go to Lot's house. They have dinner. They're getting ready for bed. What time are we talking about? Nine or ten? Make it midnight if you want. The mob comes out. They try to know the men. 
Miracle happens. They're still groping for the door. Now what time is it? One? And that's quite generous. But even then, it's not time for the sun to rise yet. So what happened? I, I mean, unless Lot had to go run a marathon in the course of talking to his son-in-laws, I think Lot, he ends up lingering because he's not taken serious, the judgment of God. He goes home, he goes, I guess I'm, I'm just kind of tired. I'm going to take a nap. So look what the angels do. It's mercy, 16b. The men seized Lot and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. The Lord being merciful. Notice the Lord's mercy to Lot and his family. They brought him out and set him outside the city. You got this picture? Imagine the angels are just like, we are not joking. Grabbing hands. Come. We are going. Dragging him out the city. And as they get outside the city, they say, you got to make for the hills, dude. Go. Because it's coming. And, and Lot, I mean, it's like he's two sheets to the wind. He just doesn't get it. Look what Lot does. He's negotiating. I don't, I don't really like this. I really don't like the hills. Could I have a different spot? It's just, you know, the hills are kind of rocky. just love that city life, man. And look, there's this small little city. I know, I mean, I know Sodom's going to get it, but this is just a little city. It's just, just a little sin. Let me go to the city. And the angels in mercy, look what they do. They say, okay, okay, but we're not going to punish the city till you get there. So move it. 23. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. And the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And the Lord overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife, behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. The picture Bible I grew up reading as a kid made me think that Lot's wife just kind of turned her head and looked at Sodom. Having studied it, I'm more inclined to believe looked back in verse 26 is an idiom, a phrase that means something more than literally looked back. The suggestion is Lot's wife did more than just take a peek. In fact, one commentator writes, at the very least, Lot's wife had abandoned flight. And Jesus suggests even more that the city had so captured Lot's wife's attention that she actually returned to it. Walton's commentary continues as he imagined Lot's wife saying something like this You're a fool, Lot. I'm not going one step further. I'm going home. And I'll see you in a day or two when you come to your senses. Whatever happened to Lot's wife, she ignored the warning. And the application then for us is the following. Take God's warnings of judgment seriously. Take God's warnings of judgment seriously. 
Just as God destroyed the earth with the flood in Genesis 6.13, we have the same word in Genesis 19, verse 29. And God's judgment is sobering as Abraham looks over the cities. Verse 27, I wonder if Abraham the next morning as he gets up and he sees all of this devastation, he thinks to himself, there's not even 10 in that city. There wasn't even 10. And the smoke raises across it all. Take God's warnings of judgment seriously. I was told, haven't been there, I'd like to someday, that this area, the area of the Dead Sea, it still smells like sulfur today. If so, perhaps a warning. Thousands of years later, God's judgment is serious. Don't be like Lot and linger in the face of punishment. Don't be like Lot's wife and think, I want to go back. Take God's promise to punish seriously as John Bunyan wrote in Pilgrim's Progress 400 years ago, he writes, run as fast as you can from the city of sin and run to the heavenly city. That's our second warning. Here's the final one from our text. Wake up. God's rescue has nothing to do with your righteousness. This is from our final verse. So Sodom has been destroyed. Abraham has seen the smoke of God's judgment. And despite all the sin around Lot and the sin in Lot, Lot and his two daughters escape, albeit by the skin of their teeth. But it's crucial for us, church, to understand why did Lot get rescued? On what basis did Lot escape God's judgment because I don't want you thinking, well, the reason Lot got out with his two daughters is because he's so good. Because we've already established Lot wasn't that good. But, 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 pastor, you said in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, that Lot's called righteous three different times. Yes, I did. And that's not me talking, that's Peter. Yeah, so how is it that Lot in the New Testament is called righteous Three different times, but he wasn't saved because of his righteousness. Yes. Yes, how is that? Whose righteousness does Lot have? Look in the text, 29. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. You get it? You see? Look, I'm guilty of reading the Bible as fast as anybody out there and just skimming over stuff, not stopping to question it. But, but do you see how our author wants us to be sure we know Lot wasn't given mercy because of his righteousness. Lot was rescued because of another. You remember in Genesis 14 where King Cheddar, that warlord, came in and started taking over everybody? And he took Sodom and he took Lot. He's taking them all. He's pillaging. 
And you remember who went and saved Lot then? Abraham. Abraham and his special task force, they went after that guy. And when you said, hey, Lot, how did you escape King Cheddar? He would go, because Abraham, he crazy. He got 318 crazy guys, man. They rescued us. How's Lot saved here? Not because of Lot. Lot's rescue is based on his relationship with the covenant family, Abraham. Lot's, Lot's rescued because there was another who was credited as righteous. Remember Genesis 15, 6? God made this incredible promise to Abraham, and Abraham says, I believe you. And the Lord credited Abraham as righteous, which means Abraham on himself, he wasn't righteous just because of who he was. Spoiler alert, if you haven't read it, Abraham's not that great of a dude either. The way he treats his wife, y'all need a lot of counseling if, if your husband treated you that way. And, and, and by the way, we got more coming in chapter 20. Abraham's going to pull the same stunt. Abraham's not righteous on his own. There is righteousness that is credited to Abraham. And what you've got to get, what I want you to tap in your brain is that throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, God's rescue has nothing to do with your righteousness. God's people aren't saved because of any sinlessness in themselves. God's people are saved because of another's righteousness. The people of God will never find salvation in their obedience or their good works. And if you're here thinking God's going to rescue you because of what you've done, wake up. Here's the application, especially aimed at anyone in here who is functionally living as if God has looked upon your life and thought, look how good you've lived. You deserve heaven. See, in Christian culture, we can throw the word around, uh, we throw the word legalism around, but I... I don't think we mean legalism in the way that the Bible means legalism. Sometimes we throw legalism around at people who follow rules that we think are too strict. But that's not the way the Bible uses legalism. Legalism in the Bible is when somebody's following strict rules because they think those rules will save them. So somebody might look at my life and go, bro, you are so legalistic. It would be right to clarify you, you, you think that, me, that I actually believe that by following my little rules of life, I'm going to be saved? Is that what you're accusing me of? Somebody go, well, no, that's not what I, Well, that's the way the Bible uses that term. Let us be clear then. Legalism isn't being very serious about God and trying to obey the positive commands in the Scripture, which, by the way, when you become part of the people of God, God does have positive commands for you to follow. That's not legalism. Legalism is the person who says, I obey the commands of God so he will save me because of what I've done. And here we see then, with this clarified, God's mercy has nothing to do with you. His mercy has nothing to do with me. And God's mercy has everything to do with God. It has everything to do with God. Look at God. God's the one who shared his plan of judgment with Abraham in Genesis 18. God's the one who sent two angels to go to the city of 
And God's the one who talked a lot to investigate the outcry of Sodom. God's the one who protected Lot from the mob. God's the one who, who ultimately was responsible for, for the angels grabbing Lot and his wife's hand and dragging them out of the city. God's the one who sat there outside the city and said, run, run. God's the one who was merciful to Lot as he's trying to negotiate for a better living arrangement. And God's the one who said, I'm not going to rain soul from fire till you're safe. Man, God's the one who ultimately rescued Lot and his two daughters Genesis 19 is clear. Lot's rescue has nothing to do with him and everything to do with God. And so it is for the Israelites. God didn't look down on the Israelites in slavery in Egypt and go, they're just so stinking obedient. They're just so perfect. I'm going to go get them. God's the one who rescued the Israelites. And notice the sequence. He rescues from slavery and then he gives the law. He rescues us, and then he calls us to live holy. So it is today, friends. God's mercy, it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with me, and it has everything to do with God. For all who believe God's promise, for all who believe the mercy God is extending, you will be rescued. And I know this is a part of the gospel we don't, spend as much time on. We may not be quite as comfortable. Our culture hates God's judgment just as much as the city of Sodom hated God's judgment. But make sure you understand the true gospel is that God created you for his glory. That was our purpose, to glorify God. But we have failed God. And we don't give him glory. We, we steal the glory. And because of this sin, we deserve death. The wages of sin is death. But God sent Jesus Christ into the world to live sinless and pure. And for all who believe this message of truth, you can be saved. Christ's righteousness credited to you, your sinfulness credited to God. And the reason this is so important is because one day judgment is coming. You gotta get that. In fact, the same language in our chapter today that we've just visited, it gets picked up later in the Bible, all the end of Revelation. It's Revelation 18 where this idea of judgment is personified in a city called Babylon. And God is going to judge the sinful city of Babylon. And the author in Revelation, he picks up this language as a warning to say, it's going to come, so beware. God's judgment is real. But great hope for those who believe the gospel. Though God's rescue isn't about our obedience, it does have everything to do with Jesus. And here's the best part of the sermon. Jesus, he's the one who left the heavenly city and he came down into a sinful city. And Jesus, as it were, he walked into the city of man and he wasn't protected. He came to his own people and they let him go to the town square. And when he had this mob of people around him at the town square, angels of God didn't pull him in and put him behind a locked door. It's like God locked the door and left him out there. I'm going to leave you out there with all those guys. And Jesus took it. He took the shame. He took the torture. He took the punishment. He took what we deserve. So for all the ways that we, like Lot, 
ignore the sin around us, for all the ways that we're guilty of ignoring the sin inside us, for all the ways that you and I linger in the city of sin, or the ways that we return to the city of sin. Jesus took the torture and shame of all of that on the cross so that today, if you look at Christ and you think to yourself, and I am sorry, I, by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, know that I have sinned, right now you would be saved and righteousness would be credited to you. If you're here, you're guilty of these sins. Repent. Christ will be merciful to you. For any here who've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you're just checking this thing out. Wake up. That's my prayer of what the Holy Spirit would do even right now. Nothing to do with me, everything to do with the Holy Spirit. Wake up. It's a sermon in a sentence. Wake up, sins all around you. Wake up, sins inside you, friend. And wake up, God is going to punish sin. There's nothing you can do to save yourself, but if you call out to Christ, he will save you. Will you pray with me? And now, Lord, would you take your word, and I pray you would drill it deep into our hearts. For those who are Christian, please give grace to rightly confess anything necessary, and then to walk in holy obedience because of you, Jesus. For those here who have not yet trusted in you, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do, and would you save today? In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.